You're listening to Native Digital, Native Analog, the show where I, a Gen Zer, dissect collisions and commonalities between my generation and yours. Why does this matter? There are now more Native Digitals than Native Analogs, and it's the Native Digitals who are rewriting every way we work, think, and play. I can't stand by and watch Native analog leaders, businesses, and parents teeter on the precipice of relevance while Native Digitals push them off the cliff. I believe that if you don't have a Native Digital on your board of directors, your leadership team, or one that's paid to pester you like a fly in your ear, you won't survive. Let's change that today. friends. Welcome back to my den. I had a wonderful conversation this week with Chris Maslin over at Biltmore, and I wanted to take some time to just come and address you all directly and talk about my own learnings from the conversation with Chris. And if you have been listening to this podcast, you will know that part of the reason I come on to do these solo casts and, and speak with you all directly is you know, during the episodes with my guests, I really want to give you all an experience of listening in like a fly on the wall, like you're eavesdropping in on a conversation I'm having with a wonderful leader or actor or teacher or whomever it might be. But really, when I record these episodes, I want to talk to you directly and just share from my heart what's been going on in the week and then introduce you to some concepts that I've been working on or thinking about with uh, the output of what I learned from our guest of the week. And so uh, this episode will be split into two parts. The first part, I'm going to talk about Chris and the learnings I gained from our time together and how I'm applying it to my life. And then the second part of this is going to be called flex or flop. So for those of you who know me, you may have heard that I've been developing Hannah's hit list. And it's a list of companies that I have running on the notes app on my iPhone. And it's literally just a list of companies that are slowly or quickly, (laughs) both, both happen, but slowly dying because they can't adapt to native digitals, whether it's through the way they, they come across online, their branding, the fact that they're not adapting to how a native, native digital thinks or what we buy or how we want to work or what we want out of a company. So I've developed Hannah's Hit List, and the second part of this podcast is going to be devoted to that. So stay tuned to hear which company from Hannah's Hit List is going to be featured and what recommendations I would give them. But to start out with this discussion from Chris, I, I've known Chris for many, many years, and he's such a wonderful person, just wonderful human being in general, and has been one of my mentors, but Something that I took away from our conversation that I had honestly forgotten about since he first introduced me to this concept years ago was this idea of having a personal board of directors. So Chris is someone who in his daily role, he's overseeing the well-being and the training and learning opportunities for over 2,000 employees and the strategic planning that Bill Moore is doing with, within the family business, and, and, and. He, he's got a lot on his shoulders. And yet, 
what he said during our time together about being able to focus on being other-centric in every action and asking good questions is something I greatly admire about him. So when he started talking about this personal board of directors, it made me think, who do I have in my personal sphere, on my personal board of directors, who offers a different perspective than I might ever see? You know, it's it's really easy when we hear a diverse perspective or, or you know, a diverse uh, way of thinking. It's very easy to think only skin color these days. And so it really challenged me when he was talking about building a personal board of directors to think, what are the people or who are the people in my life who offer a different perspective based on their past experience, their age, where they grew up, you know, did they grow up in a, a different country w- with a very different culture or a different way of looking at the world or a different economic perspective than I did? Making sure that there are people on my board of directors who come from a background that was less privileged, for example. And I've been doing a lot of thinking as I've been trying to be someone who is not just showing up for the people who can do things for me, but really showing up as someone who is uh, humble and authentic and willing to learn. That idea of the personal board of directors really challenged me to think who is pouring into my life, who can add something I truly may have not considered before. And how do I make my conversation or meeting with them consistent. There's one mentor in particular in my life who is a wonderful woman named Deb, and I, I, I may have her on the show eventually. She's so, su- such a woman full of insight. And one of the things that she asked me back around a dinner conversation after a conference in, oh gosh, this must have been 2016. So I was pretty young at the time, just getting started in my career. And one of the things I struggled with at the very beginning of my career was hiding my age. I used to find myself seated around the di- I can't even talk today, seated around the the dinner table or the bar with leaders from all different generations, usually much older than me, and having to hide the fact that I was 18, 19, 20 even. And one day Deb and I had first met. This was the very, very first meeting. And she's so bubbly and enthusiastic. Just uh, She's blonde and just the epitome of bubbly personality and, and a successful leader and business owner in her own right. And she and I were having a conversation and she asked me how old I was. And when I told her I was, I guess, 19 at the time, she asked me why I was hiding my age and why I couldn't use that as, a, as an advantage for, as a differentiator for who I was and what I stood for. And it was the first time I had really thought about the fact that my age could be used as an advantage to help people from a different age or generation see the world from a new perspective. And so as I think about this personal board of directors that Chris brought up, it makes me wonder, you know, for people like Deb who are in my life, how can I make sure that I am bringing them back in consistently for a virtual coffee or meeting in person if I can every single month so that they their influence is always in my life and always present? So that's my challenge to, to myself is this week, I'm going to create a a a true board of directors, a a board where I can list the people 
who are most instrumental in my life and make sure they come from different backgrounds and different perspectives so that every month when I think about how how am I becoming a better version of who I want to be, those people are the foundation I'm standing on, that I'm standing on the shoulder of those giants and not just relying on my own inner self and inner being. So that was my takeaway or my biggest takeaway from the conversation with Chris is how do how can I develop a personal board of directors that governs every move I make and every action I take by just the thought pockets, the nuggets they put into my head on a monthly basis. And I would encourage you if you're listening, if if you're a business owner or or maybe you're in a leadership role within a company but you're not the owner of the company and and you know you have a team under you who is really wanting to grow and to develop themselves, help them think about who is on their personal board of directors. You know, this is not just for you. It's also for your team. Who is on that person's board of directors and how can you encourage them to add people who are going to help them think differently? That would be my suggestion to to anybody listening to you, to you all, as, as you think about your own personal application is how do you encourage your team to build that board of directors around themselves. All right, it's time for Hannah's hit list. I may have to enter some theme music there, but you know, we're only a few episodes in, so I'm not I'm not going to be too creative there. If you guys have any ideas, let me know what should be on Hannah's hit list. The company we're going to be talking about today with uh, flex or flop. Now, if you're not a Gen Zer, maybe the word flex doesn't mean anything to you, but Flex is basically just a way of saying that this company's great. You know, they're they're doing things right. They're flexing. They got it together. So we're going to talk about either a flex or a flop on this segment of the show. And today's company is a flop. We're going to be talking about Barnes & Noble. Now, I love Barnes & Noble as much as anyone in terms of, you know, I might think about going there once a year or so to get a coffee, maybe peruse some books, have a nice experience. But they're very, very infrequently on my radar. And why is that? I mean, I, I was in a Barnes & Noble the other day and it asked, you know, after I started seeing the people who were shopping there, mostly, you know, native analogs, it, it made me question, you know, I wondered how, how is Barnes and Noble's revenue doing? So I looked it up and turns out Barnes and Noble has been declining in their revenue for seven straight years. And most of the time it's chalked up to being an issue with the fact that they can't compete with Amazon. But my question to the company, and this would be to you, Mr. Daunt, CEO, is why do you see this your company's survival on the line and think that your competition is Amazon? I mean, why, why do you think your competition is Amazon? I mean, it's very clear that the competitive advantage that you have as a company is your physical store locations. Barnes & Noble, at least from the ones I've seen, tends to own some of the best real estate of 
any bookstore, of, of any store in general. They're a luxury brand. They're often positioned in very strategic places where people choose to go, you know, pick up a, a nice handbag or a nice piece of clothing or furniture and then waltz over to a Barnes & Noble for a quick look at the books. And I've noticed over the years they've ad- adapted a little bit by having a, a, a focus on the uh, gaming side of their business and the old vinyl records. But as a Gen Zer, it stuns me that they haven't realized that their competition is Starbucks. Their competition is these experience-driven brands. Let me say that again. Mr. Daunt, your competition is Starbucks. Now, let me paint a picture for you, and I'm going to give some free free advice here for Mr. Daunt. Um, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal recently from Mr. Daunt's point of view, and he's quoted as saying, I don't think we, meaning Barnes & Noble, have any God-given right to exist. He said, how is it that bookstores justify themselves in the age of Amazon? They do so by being, being in places where you discover books with an enjoyment, with a pleasure, with a serendipity that is simply impossible to replicate online. Now, let's break that down because, Mr. Dante, I would agree with you that you certainly have the advantage or, you know, a bookstore does justify itself in the age of Amazon by being in places that you discover books with enjoyment. And in fact, Gen Z or native digitals love physical books. Pretty much every Gen Zer I talk to loves the feeling of having a physical book in our hands and enjoying reading that way. So why is it that your revenue is going down every single year? Well, I would chalk it up to several factors, but the, the most important of which being that you don't realize who your competitors are. You don't realize that your cafe is your greatest asset. Most Barnes & Nobles that I go in are quite large. Some of them are one story, some two story, but the cafe is a tiny portion of the business. You know, usually it's seven to 10% of the square footage of the, of the layout and the rest of it is books or games, mostly books. And yet every native digital that I see who walks into Barnes and Noble, what, you know, I sat, I sat in a Barnes and Noble a couple weeks ago for eight, eight or nine hours working And I watched the flow of people coming into this Barnes & Noble and the consistent path of every native digital who walked in, anyone under age 30, was straight beeline to the cafe. They picked up a, a coffee or a mocha or a tea, and then they either left the building directly, the only thing they came in for was the coffee, or they walked around for a little bit, maybe bought something. Or they got their coffee and they sat down in the cafe and ate it while studying. And so my question to you, Mr. Daunt, is why have you not recognized that your cafe is your biggest asset and why hasn't that part of your store expanded? Even beyond that, I watched no fewer than 10 people walk in asking about if their Starbucks gift card could be used at your cafe while I was sitting there during that eight or nine hour sprint. So if you're getting confused with Starbucks already, why not create your own Barnes & Noble product line, your own Barnes & Noble coffee and and experiences where you don't have to sell Starbucks products. You, You create a niche and an experience where native digitals or really anyone from any generation 
can come in, grab a coffee or some specialty item and sit and study or, or hang out in nooks and crannies of your store and peruse books and buy things. This would be my recommendation to you. I have three recommendations. Number one, you need to recognize your cafe as your biggest asset and expand that part of your store. Number two, if you want to connect with Native Digitals, you need to capitalize on TikTok-driven events. What if you had a book of the month theme for your cafe that you could promote on TikTok and have influencers pick up? What if that theme, for example, was Bridgerton? based on, you know, the infamous novel collection that was just made into a Netflix series, you could theme it Bridgerton, get rights from whomever holds those rights, and host experience-driven events at a Barnes & Noble, where your staff could have the autonomy to create their own Bridgerton-themed beverages that could then be served. You know, I noticed in that Wall Street Journal article that you interviewed for, where you were talking about giving booksellers complete freedom in their own individual stores to, say, lay out the store the way they want or position books the way they want. Well, I think that's great. Why don't you extend that into what your cafe serves? Give your employees the opportunity to develop a creative menu that's inspired by that topic. If it's Bridgerton, you could, you know, pick one per month. My third suggestion to you is capitalize on the experience of your physical store. You see, Native Digitals, as young people as we are, we, we spend so much time online. We spend so much time in our digital spaces that it's extremely exhausting and we need opportunities to go outside of that and really connect with people and, and see the world. So if you can capitalize on your experience in your store, you're going to have more native digitals spending time and spending money in that environment. One suggestion I'd have for you is to take the themes that exist in your store, whether it's the food section or the old vinyl music section or the romance or fiction sections, turn them into little tiny uh, oases, almost like individual little coffee shops within your store and theme them by the decorations you use, the color, the types of books that are in that section. That way, when a native digital comes to study at your store or comes to work remotely as a digital nomad, they can spend time in the different segments of your store and never get bored with, you know, why they're there or never get bored with the scenery around them. This is how you can capitalize on your experience economy. These are just a very few suggestions that I have for you, Mr. Daunt, and I would highly recommend, since you are on the flop rating here on the Native Digital, Native Analog show, that we talk, because we need to think about, we need to brainstorm, like I'm on your side, Barnes & Noble, I have great memories from being at Barnes & Noble stores. I, I used to love going to Barnes & Noble and buying books or visiting the kids section or playing with the trains in the kids section where we got to build tracks and 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 put trains, uh, you know, create trains that were our, of our own uh, personalities. My sister and I always loved doing that. I want to help you, so reach out to me, but you are on the flop list on Hannah's hit list. 
So it will not be long before your business is completely irrelevant to native digitals if something doesn't change. So friends, um, those are my takeaways from Chris, the conversation with Chris, and then also from my uh, research and thoughts on Barnes & Noble. If you know of a company that you want to see me talk about, whether it's um, Hannah's hit list or uh, a company that flexes, that does things really well, then certainly email me and and I will, I, you know, who knows, your show, your your company might be featured on the show. And one more reminder, if you are a company who is wanting to remain relevant to Native Digitals and you want to know how to recruit and retain us, don't forget to register for the free masterclass that I host the second and fourth Thursdays of every single month, where I give you practical tools to retain your Native Digital workforce. And you can register for that masterclass at hannahgwilliams.com forward slash get that shit. So go get that shit. Do great things this week. Build your personal board of directors and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Native Digital Native Analog Show. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and review, and tell your friends. If you're looking to connect and talk more about attracting and retaining native digitals, you can reach me at hannahgwilliams.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Yeah.